Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. So today, I'm speaking with Frank Zafiro, and it was a great conversation. I've actually asked him to come back on again, just because we barely touched what he is basically all about. All of his books, he's a prolific writer. Lots there, lots to talk about, and very enjoyable to talk with. So I hope you enjoy the show. Now, as you're watching this, you're going to start noticing that there's differences, difference in the background, difference in the layouts as the show progresses. I'm constantly trying to improve what I can to make this video and audio better for the people that are watching or listening. I've changed my format of how I'm recording, so it's going to be giving me a different appearance for those who are watching. The audio, you should not notice any difference. I'm still using the same software and everything that to make it sound just as I can for you. So I hope it doesn't affect you. I hope you still enjoy the show and enjoy the conversations. With that said, thank you for being here. Watch the show and I'll be talking with you soon. I'm here with Frank Zafiro and we're here to talk about the extensive amount of books that he has. I mean, 11 series, over 35 books. And he also writes about his passion of hockey as Frank Solis. I mean, just when it comes to being prolific in writing, Frank is the man that, and he does it on crime fiction, thriller. Is it a thriller or a mystery? How about this? Instead of me going on and telling everyone about you, Frank, how about you tell everyone exactly who you are and a bit about your books? Well, I thought you were doing a great job, Eric. <laughs> uh, so, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, you, you hit on the big points. Uh, I, I was a police officer for, for 20 years in Spokane, Washington, which is on the Eastern half of the state, the drier half of the state, uh, of Washington. And, uh, I, I started writing stories, uh, in the crime fiction genre about, uh, 10 years, uh, after I came on the job, I'd always been a writer, even as a kid, but I, I didn't start writing any crime fiction until about 2004 or so. And I came on the job in, in 1993. And most of what I've written has been crime fiction. Um, and kind of the fun part about it is that I haven't just stayed in the one subgenre that people would probably expect, which is the police procedural. Um, I certainly have pl played pretty heavily in that sandbox, but I've also written hard-boiled series uh, from the criminal standpoint. Uh, you know, I have a, a series about a couple of assassins and, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and the private investigator series, uh, a couple of those as well. Uh, and so really the only, the only subgenre, major subgenre that I haven't dabbled in has been cozies and that's just not really in my wheelhouse. Um, so I did not to disparage cozies at all. Uh, my, right. one of my best, very best friends writes, uh, writes a cozy series. Uh, but you know. You, you you know what you can do and you know what you can't do. <laughs> Trust me, I understand that very much. Just like my ability of romance is the right romance is just miles away from my grasp. And I've tried fantasy and sci-fi and that came out to be complete junk. So I I stick with the crime side of the crime side of thrillers is what I stick to. And yeah, you stick with what you know and what you're good at and what you enjoy. So let me ask this. Let's start with the crime procedure, the procedural series. With those there, you 
like you said, you were an officer for 20 years. I believe I read you retired as a captain in the force. How much of that do you bring in? Because I've listened to your podcast and I believe it's wrong crime, right plate, right time. Am I saying uh, that wrong, right? Uh, close. Uh, wrong place, right crime. Oh, okay. Right, right crime with a typewriter, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> hey, I've, it's been a busy day, so I do apologize. I actually listened to the episode that came out today, so I enjoyed it. Oh, with uh, Emily Duncan? Yes. So, for anyone that's listening, this show is pre-recorded, just like most of them are, so... But yeah, I even heard you say on there that Cozy's is not your forte as well. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, that, and for that reason, I admire people who can pull it off and do a, a good job of it. And and Emmeline Duncan, um, which is a pen name for Kelly Garrett, uh, she's got a wonderful premise there uh, of a uh, Cozy series taking place uh, around a, a, a coffee truck, a food truck in Portland, Oregon. So I, I think Cozy's are cool. I just don't, I don't know that I could write them. Right. These procedurals, on the other hand, you know, I mean, I, I lived that. Uh, so the right what you know, maxim kind of comes to bear. Right. And one thing I've heard is I've heard authors that's written the procedurals talk about how they've talked to different cops and different people in the industry and all this stuff. You have firsthand knowledge of it. How often do you read a book or something like that? And you realize it's not factual of what they call themselves procedurals, but it just seems they're making it up as they go. Because I imagine you're bringing actual experience into your books. And I heard you said that that does get frustrating to you. It can, um, you know, so just uh, any expert in a field, when they see their field portrayed in film or TV or in <laughs> books, it, it's pretty easy to nitpick. I mean, it, and, it's no real fault of the authors because often they're portraying uh, a stereotype or a trope that they've seen elsewhere pretty commonly. And just because it's not accurate, you know, doesn't, doesn't probably won't, you know, it'll probably get past the reader that most readers might not pick up on it as well. But there is a certain level of authenticity that comes with law enforcement professionals, whether they were, you know, officers or if they worked in a civilian role as a dispatcher or something along those lines, uh, writing procedurals, much like a lawyer writing a law book or, or, you know, somebody who is in the medical profession, writing a medical thriller, you just bring authenticity to it by default. Right. Um, and you don't have to do as much research because you know, <laughs> the, the, the elements are already there. And so I've written two procedural series, uh, one by myself and one co-author. Um, and that's a, a nice element to both is that they are authentic um and i didn't have to work too hard for that authenticity uh and that's just you know i mean you gotta you gotta play to your strengths and your advantages in this world and, and so I that think, was that was certainly one that that i was able to bring to the table so do you think with that the authentic ah you know, some days there's, well, most days for me anymore, there's just certain words you can't say at certain times. You think bringing your life experience into it brings out more of the life in the book, bringing the characters and everything, because just what's it do for your storyline in compared to the others that you read? You know, I think every book, you know, any mystery or, or, or whatever has to be a good story with good characters to start with, obviously. 
And so I could write the most technically accurate police procedural in the world, and it could completely suck because if the characters aren't good, if the story isn't compelling, um, and of course, if it isn't executed well, uh, it's not going to matter. And so, but on the flip side of that, if you do have compelling characters and you do have a, a good story to tell and you're able to execute it at least marginally well, then that extra layer of authenticity that you get having lived it and being able to bring small details in or nuances of existing details, you know, how people talk on the radio or, or, or the order in which they do certain mundane tasks, you know, that's not going to make or break a book, uh, but it might tip a book from being a decent book to a good book or a good book to a great book. Um, and I do think that, that people who have done this job, uh, like any job when you're writing about it, I think they bring that into the equation. All right. So you said that you've written out of the 11, I think it is, I counted out of the 11 series, you did only two in procedurals. What is the other ones in and which one would you like to start discussing first off of those? Um, well, the two procedurals are the river city series, which is an ensemble cast of, of officers. Although the core character is probably uh, Katie McLeod. Uh, and that began in 1994, setting-wise. And it's up to, well, the eighth one will be out this summer. And that is set in 2008. So I'm trying to catch it up to, to, to current day. Um, and that's one where I tried to really, really show the humanity of the officers. Because I long felt, particularly while I was on the job, that people don't necessarily see, you know, see... A person when they look at a cop, they tend to see the badge or the gun or the uniform or the the symbol or, or whatever. And and sometimes, of course, we don't do ourselves any favors uh, any favors when it comes to you know propagating that and and you know keeping it that going. But nonetheless, you know, I worked with so many wonderful people who were dedicated, talented, hardworking, and who were really there because it was a calling. And I wanted to portray that. But in a way that wasn't hero worship, I mean, you know, cops are like anyone else. They have their flaws. And so I wanted to to, to show those as well. Uh, but I would say on balance, the River City series is a very favorable view of, of, of the police and, and the procedural series. The other one, Charlie, the Charlie 316 series actually originated with my friend Colin Conway, who was an officer for about five years. We met while we were both on the job. And he came to me with this idea of a an officer involved shooting that happens and the the shooter being a golden child of the department and a ton of different politics coming to bear and how that would play out. And he wanted to write it together because I had experience in the upper echelons of, of police politics and he had different experiences while on the job and he didn't want to get over his skis, but he had a very compelling story already. And so we, we started working on it. And of course it took off from there and one book actually became a four book arc. Uh, and, and now the fifth book, which is kind of a standalone, but in the same universe just came out here in May, uh, the ride along. And, and that was a completely different experience. But in that one, I would say, uh, it's a little bit more balanced view. The cops are the, the heroes, but they're not always painted in the, in the most favorable light. Uh, that's, it's, it's more balanced in regard. Uh, so those, those are the procedural series. Um, I wrote a couple of private investigator series, uh, and, uh, 
the the first of which is is a spinoff from my River City series. So in the River City series, there's an officer named Stefan Kopriva, who's a young hotshot in the first book. He's about a three year officer, and for anyone who has ever been on on the job, you know that at that three year stage ish, um, it's a very dangerous time because you you've reached a level of proficiency where you are pretty good at your job and you do know a lot, but it's almost like when you're a teenager, you know, you, you think you know more than you know, and you think you can do more than you can do. And there's a cockiness that comes along with it. Right. And so that, that three year three and year four, I mean, I'm speaking generally, of course, but for a lot of cops, it's, just, it's a very, you know, uh, interesting period. Uh, usually around the five year mark, uh, you kind of hit adulthood, if you will. And, and you, you start to realize, uh, I look back at my three year self and I cringe, uh, three years on. And, and so anyway, Copriva is a hot shot and, um, I'm getting into some spoiler territory here. So I'll just say that things occur that result in him leaving the department in less than favorable, uh, circumstances. And it, it, it's something that bothers him. And so that series starts about 10 years after that event in the river city series and he's uh, basically an unlicensed private investigator um and and kind of uh down on his luck as well um so there's three books in that series a fourth one will be out this year uh the other private investigator series is complete other end of the spectrum it's a retired officer who had kind of a mediocre career his name's jack mccray and he goes by mac and he he just he you know, he worked property crimes, uh, as a detective, which isn't glamorous. It's, it's kind of the steady Eddie sort of, uh, detective job. It's, it's what I did as a detective for the most part. Um, you know, the only time I did any kind of major crimes work was when it spilled over, uh, you know, from major crimes and, and, uh, you know, Mac is, you know, he retires at 57, I think, and he's got no mark on the world, you know, no, no parents, no siblings, never married. And he's kind of facing this existential crisis of, you know, was I even here? And so, uh, you know, there's two books in that series now. The second one's coming out in June. And and both of them have to do with, obviously, a mystery that he ends up working on, again, as an unlicensed PI, uh, but also kind of him facing those existential elements. Uh, and so I've never been a private investigator, but uh, I don't imagine it's... Uh, wildly different than being an investigator while on the job uh just different considerations and different resources understand and then i'm trying to go through the list and then you also have sandy banks thrillers as well which is a two book series um that's a uh <clears throat> that's a uh will be a three book series All right. pardon, pardon me um will be a three book series the second one will be out late this year uh, that was an interesting one. I was, I, I'll tell you the backstory for that. It's a short story. I, I was working graveyard patrol and, um, I think I was a lieutenant at the time. And, uh, I was walking through where the, the sergeant's offices are there uh, for right next to the patrol grave, uh, roll call room there. And I ran into a guy, uh, who was a sergeant at the time. Uh, Steve Wool was his name and we were pretty decent friends. I considered him a good friend and he was shaking his head and he was just frustrated. And I was like, Steve, what's up? You know, and he's like, oh, I just got a call, uh, you know, on my voicemail from prosecutor and, and long story short, they had let a, a, a guy go that they, that they had caught as a child molester. And, and there were some technicalities and, and, you know, they, they basically he didn't, 
you know, he didn't do any time or he got a very small sentence or some very dissatisfying result. I don't even remember what it was at the moment, but I remember what Steve was so frustrated. He, and, and in a burst of frustration, he, he said, you know, I'll tell you what, when I retire, I'm going to get, you know, my bloody Brent and you and a bunch of other guys. And we're just going to go around and find these guys that slip through the cracks. These obviously guilty guys and just beat the hell out of them. <laughs> so they get a little justice and we kind of laughed because obviously we would never do that. Right. Um, but, but it's a frustration. Everybody feels cops and civilians. When you see somebody obviously guilty, get away with something, but it planted a seed. And I thought, what if there was actually a group, like a secret group of vigilantes that did that, that were fed cases by somebody on the police department of uber guilty scum who got away with it. And they went out and settled that account. And so that's where the idea for the, the last horseman was, was, uh, was born because this group was known as the four horsemen. And, uh, when the book starts, uh, there's only two of them left and one of them Besides, he's out. That leaves Sandy as the last horseman. Everything starts crumbling, and and that's a, a, a pretty uh, action-filled series of events from there. Uh, but that was just born out of a very real frustration that people in the profession and outside the profession surely feel. Oh, I'd imagine that. And yeah, I mean, that sounds like something to be interesting because, like you said, everyone has that whole, these people got off, they shouldn't got off. Like you said, the child molester. I don't know too many people that would say a child molester should get off for anything other than if he's being, well, I'm not going to go in there because I have my own personal opinions <laughs> and the things I believe should happen to those people are, would not be appropriate to speak about here. So with that being said, that makes a lot of sense and sounds like an interesting story. I might even have to get into that series myself to read a bit about it. So what actually got you into writing? I mean, I've known plenty of people that started writing. It was like, okay, I've written a couple chapters or I've written a novella. I'm good. You went out with, like I said at the beginning of the show, over 35 books. That's not just a interest in writing. That is a obsession, I would almost say. Uh, that's not a bad way to put it. Uh, you know, I, I think I've always considered myself a writer. It's how I always identified myself since I was maybe 10 years old or so. Um, I was always a voracious reader, as most writers are. I grew up on fantasy and science fiction. Um, I was pretty thrilled when I was about 13, 14 years old when I wrote a fan letter to Piers Anthony, the uh, science fiction and fantasy author. And uh, uh, unlike a couple other authors who I, I think I got a letter back from their secretary, um, I got I got a real letter back from Piers Anthony on a couple of different occasions. This would have been in the late eighties, early eighties rather. Um, and it was just on a three by five card turned into a postcard with a dress on one side and a typed message on the, the whole back of the other side with strikeouts and misspellings. And it was obviously cranked it out pretty quick, but it was very personalized. It was like, you know, and that told me, you know, you matter as a reader to me, the writer, mm -hmm. and that really stuck with me. Um and so I, I always wanted to, to write, I worked on it, you know, throughout my teenage years and, and my twenties. Um, but you don't just say, Hey, I'm a writer. Somebody starts sending me checks. I mean, there's a journey <laughs> there. And, right. and of, of course that journey in my case took, took me into the military and then, uh, into the police department. And, uh, while I did a lot of writing along the way, um, I did have about a eight year 
hiatus from fiction while I was going back to school full time and learning new positions in the police department every couple of years. Um, but even then I was writing a lot. I mean, when you get a degree in history, you, you write a ton of papers and, mm -hmm. and of course the law enforcement profession has a lot of writing in it that people might not think of it that way, but there is. Uh, and so, uh, for me, it was like, I, I equated to somebody who just knows they're a musician, you know, and they, they pick up a guitar when they're six and, and they, they've never thought of themselves in any different way, really. Um, you know, I mean, I know it sounds a little pretentious, but that's just, you know, always how I felt. Um, and so for me, when, when I had a chance to breathe a little bit, you know, you know, kind of like Maslow, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, right? You know, those base needs have to be met first, but once, you know, once there is a roof over the head <laughs> and a paycheck coming in and, and so forth, uh, that's always what I turned back to, uh, was, was telling stories. I understand. And that's a wonderful thing. And like, from what I've heard and read on the reviews that you've had in the different books, it seems like you've done a really good job at entertaining people. So help me, help me on, or let's do this. How about you help me explain to people what books would fit, what kind of people who would be interested sure. in your books? I guess this is the best way to say it. this is your pitch to the readers of who should be reading what. Well, I mean, obviously if you like police procedurals that are realistic, that, uh, probably lean towards favorable uh where the police are concerned but not um just you know beating the cops or perfect drama at the same time you want human cops the river city series certainly is is there for that and the charlie 316 series that i talked about previously the nice part about the river city series for me is that because it's taking place over so much time these characters learn and grow and change um and some die and some retire and, and others promote and, and, and so forth. And so if you start at the beginning and you keep reading through, you know, you're, you're on a journey with these characters and, and you get to have some of the uh, emotional uh, ups and downs that they go through, particularly, uh, particularly, like I said, Katie McLeod, who is the uh, emotional core of the series after probably, probably starts about the second book and, and is still the case in the eighth book. Um, and so, you know, that, that's what you would want if you're into the police procedurals, if you're into the PI books, I mentioned those already. If you like more of the hard boiled, um, maybe from the criminal perspective, um, then my Spellcompton series would be for you. Um, that, that's would that be the assassin, would that be the assassin uh, series nope. you talked about? Uh, no, that's, uh, that's a different one. Uh, the Spellcompton series, uh, starts with at their own game. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's totally from the other side of the badge. I mean, my tagline is that I write gritty crime fiction from both sides of the badge. And this is the underside of the badge, if you will. Um, it, all three of the books so far, and I'm working on the fourth one now, and it, it's also true, um, you know, are, uh, come, come from the perspective of the criminals. And so if you like that underbelly, edgy, sort of hard boiled, uh, crime novel that then that's definitely the one that that you'd want to pick up the assassin one you mentioned is a series i wrote with eric beatner called the bricks and cam jobs series um the first one is called the backlist and that was really cool because it's it's about a couple of uh different characters i wrote one paula bricky aka bricks and camera uh and rather eric wrote the other uh cameron and they're both uh 
buttonmen for for the mafia, but the mafia is downsizing. Times are tough, and so as part of their downsizing efforts, they decide they're not going to keep uh, their staff, if you will. So they give each of these uh, uh, hitmen, neither of which knows the other, uh, a list of outstanding accounts, a backlist, if you will, three three names, and uh, how they equip themselves will go a long way towards determining which one of them has a job and which one of them's out out of a job. Uh, of course, it's you know not that easy and it's not that simple and, and things go awry. And it, it's I would say the the brick and can jobs are part action, a part dark humor. Um, and 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 Eric and I tried to mix the two in in equal parts. Um, you know my my humor uh, contribution in in the case of bricks is probably more sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Um, from, from her, she's pretty, uh, quick witted and pretty sharp tongued, uh, Cameron's more situational humor, uh, as how Eric wrote it. So it's, uh, it's pretty, it's, it was pretty fun to write. And, and Eric Beatner is a fantastic author. If, if you like fast moving crime fiction, uh, definitely check out his, his work. Uh, and I had a great time writing that series with him. Uh, I don't, I, we wrap it up in the third book. It is really basically a trilogy. I don't know that there'll be any more in that series. So it's a, a pretty quick three book read uh, for people who like that kind of uh, thing. Um, if, if you're more into that noirish, hard boiled, I wrote a series with uh, Jim Brickey called the Anya series. Um, there's four books in that, uh, three books, and then the fourth is actually a prequel. Uh, the first one we wrote was Blood on Blood. And this is an interesting series because it started out as a single book and then um, a minor character that Jim introduced into a chapter ended up blowing up and, and becoming kind of the through thread that, that ended up being the, the thread that all four books were uh, connected by. Uh, but we wrote this book, um, much like the book I wrote with Eric, with two protagonists. And I wrote one and he wrote the other. We wrote both in the first person with alternating chapters. And so in, in Blood on Blood, you get a, a Mick chapter and then you get a Jersey chapter and then it goes back and forth. Um, and, and this character, Vanya, that, that, that uh, Jim introduced, this uh, classic femme fatale siren, uh, she ends up being the, the one, she's the only one that's in all four books. And uh, in the second book, we moved to Vegas with two different protagonists and then Northern California with, with two more in the final book in the series and then the prequel brings it back to uh to florida with two two different protagonists in it but anya is in all of them and uh it's it's a a pretty dark uh very noir very very hard-boiled uh sort of sort of series and it's a lot of fun jim and i argue about the best order to read them in he he contends that you should read harbinger the prequel first and then read the series I vehemently disagree. I think the uh, the twists and turns of the prequel have a lot more impact if you've read the first three books uh, first and then read the prequel, uh, which is an origin story. I just uh, we disagree on that. And the, the thing is, is we're both right. It, it's just a different experience, whichever we decide to go. Understand. So, with that being said, I don't want to hold you up for too long. So, I'm gonna thank you for being here. I do appreciate you being on. People's going to want to find you other than just listening to you here. Where do you suggest people go find you? I have a profile of you set up on authorblurb.com. 
with the links you've given me. They can also find the podcast on your homepage or your webpage if they want to listen to more of you, your conversations there. But where do you suggest people find you? Uh, I do think the easiest place is, is my website, franksafaro.com. Um, uh, it's also helpful if, uh, you know, whatever platform you use, if you're on Amazon, if you if you utilize BookBub or, or Goodreads, to follow me on those platforms, Facebook and Twitter and, and uh, Instagram, pretty easy to find on, on all those locations. I also have a newsletter um, that I keep people up to date on, on new, new events and, and sometimes ask the uh, newsletter uh, subscribers for a little bit of help when it comes to picking a cover or uh, other other developmental things that pop up occasionally, but mostly it's a way just to kind of keep in touch with readers and let them know something new is coming out. I have a pretty pretty full release calendar this year, so uh, any of those locations, you'd, you'd be able to pick up the information when a new book is coming. Well, that sounds good. And like I said, I do appreciate you being here. I've enjoyed our conversation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to end the recording, so that's the end of the conversation everyone else is going to hear us talk about. But if you can hold on, you and I can talk a little bit more afterwards. All right. I could do that. Thanks for hey. having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Frank. Like I said, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you had fun in it as much as I did. Frank also goes by Frank Scalia, as you might have heard, who writes about hockey. So Frank is a very interesting man. I hope you go find his books, purchase them, go to his website, learn more about them. So with that being said, if you feel inclined, I hope you go to authorblurb.com where you can find more information about Frank on the website under the profile for the guest list that I have there. In that guest list, you can find the past guests, also upcoming guests. You can sort by the genre, if they're fiction, published, self-published, however you want to do it. I try to give you as many options as I can. There you can also find the podcast has already been aired. And you can find links to where you can go to your favorite viewer to see them. Or you can also go and find them on Rubble or YouTube. I try to be as many places as I can so you can enjoy the show as much as you can. While you're at the website, there's also a link there for showing support. Support can come in many ways. Giving me a five-star rating. Giving me a thumbs up on the video. Telling people that you like the show. You can also do what's called buy a cup of coffee, where you give a few dollars, nothing more, and it's well appreciated. You can donate in crypto, or right now I also have a link to my author page where you can go and purchase my books. That will also help me too, and you get something out of it. I'm working on setting up a Patreon page as well, so I can offer you more stuff to make you happy. Like I always try to say, it's all about you the readers, connecting with the authors, and making it a wonderful show. So thank you, and I hope you have a good day.